good evening to Bible study live in the sanctuary as well as online. So, of course, comment, like, and share. It's always good to come before you and to be with you in this space, this Bible study space where we kind of slow down and go over what we went over Sunday. So, always great to see you online and appreciate those who stay online, sharing, commenting, doing all that. We appreciate you. Let us bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you mean to us. God, you are the great, awesome, kind, and majestic God, and we thank you. God, I ask that you illuminate this study, that you would cause us to get something out of it, even more than we got on Sunday morning, to get to deeper revelation. Thank you that revelation knowledge will flow freely, unhindered, unchecked, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Sunday was, the sermon was the last laugh, the last laugh. And uh, that's a phrase that's common to us, but the phrase originated with something more like this, he who laughs last, laughs loudest. A couple different variations of that phrase, uh, I think it traces back to around the 1500s, and then as it uh, goes what, what they, they call that the etymology etymology of words or phrases they change uh, over time and uh, it end up just coming to the last laugh which simply m- meant that whoever uh, last laughed last usually had the victory and so that was the frame of uh, reference that we were uh, working from for Sunday and I had one major point and some subpoints, but the major point that we wanted to communicate was this: God is about to change your laugh. God is about to change your laugh, and so uh, looking at that for for me particularly, uh, many times when I'm when I'm trying to see what God is speaking uh, to the people and wants me to share. A lot of times it's not connected to something I'm going through, but the last uh, several sermons has, from the time that my father passed away, much of what I was sharing, uh, me and the people were in the same place. So a lot of it had to do with what I was going through as well as what the people are going through. But that's kind of carried carried on. Uh, in 2022, it's not always the case, but sometimes it's the case. So in uh, this time, particularly, I was going through something personally, and uh, God spoke to me this scripture that we end up uh, preaching from. And as I was looking at it, because my devotion time, my, my time with God is not necessarily my preach what I'm going to preach from. Sometimes they match. And as I was looking at that, and as that gave me strength for me, I realized it was something I needed to share with the people as well. And so the uh, the premise is that God is going to shift how we are laughing. And uh, that that's kind of odd because when you, when you think of laugh, you always think of joy. But I was trying to prove that there are different types of laugh, and then we go to the Scripture to show it. So what we did is this. We uh, talked about comparing laughs. So... There is a difference between the first laugh and the last laugh. 
So the focus for us is the last laugh, but let's look at the first laugh. And uh, this is not normally things that you compare. You no normally don't compare laughs as a laugh number one, laugh number two. But I was going to scripture and looking at a laugh that was not the proper laugh versus a last laugh. And so that's how we broke it down. So uh, using synonyms, which I often like to use because it helps us paint a picture. So the first synonyms that, that we use were this first laugh synonyms, dismiss, make a joke of, make light of, refuse to acknowledge, overlook, turn a blind eye to, discount, ignore, disregard, shrug off, brush aside, scoff at. So that is the first laugh. And in thinking of that, that's normally, those words normally aren't connected with laughter until you understand the jaded, sarcastic laugh that it's actually a laugh born out of pain more than a laugh born out of joy. And the point that I was making is many of us if we're honest, we sometimes get stuck in that laugh when we're in the process of waiting a long time for things to come about. Really, even though I was speaking of laugh, laughter, first laugh, last laugh, really the foundation of the message really is a message about patience and promise. It's about when you have a promise from God, and you're forced to be patient because the one who promised you hasn't brought it about yet, what happens is your patience becomes to be at test. And in that process, the normal joys of life, sometimes they lose their luster. And you get to the point where you're going through the motions because part of you believes it will never happen. Part of you is convinced it was never happened. Not all of you is convinced because you stay in the fight. So it's only a portion of you that's convinced. But if you're honest, a por that portion sometimes at times seems to get the best of you, especially when it's time to have joy, but you can't have joy. So what, what happens is, you know, a uh, someone who may be positive about something, but on the inside, you're negative about it. Let, let, let me use this example. So let's say that you had a recently failed relationship and you're in the office and someone new comes in talking about their new boyfriend or their new girlfriend. Or, or let's say you're a woman and flowers comes in for somebody else and they're so excited. But on the inside, it was like, yeah, he started off giving me flowers too. Yeah, that's the way it started for me. Mm-hmm. You may not say it out loud, but inside, because of what you've been through, it just has a tendency to jade you. And we have to be very careful of that because that can set up what we call strongholds. And once a stronghold is set up in you, they're very hard to tear down. The scripture says, casting down vain imaginations and every stronghold that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. So a stronghold is something, it's a military term from back, at, back in the day, but something easy for us to understand. It's anything we sh are strongly holding on to. And many times what we strongly hold on to is what has happened to us. And so um, 
because we've been in the mental health space, a lot of people have been coining it as the term trauma, trauma bonding. So what happens is when trauma happens to us, we have a tendency to bond to that trauma. And then we begin to see life from the lens of our trauma. And it's, it's not necessarily bad. It's actually normal. Um, something happened with me and my mother uh, some years back. And I was picking her up. I was taking her somewhere. And I pulled out. But I wasn't pulling all the way out in the traffic. I was pulling out into the median because I was getting out there first so that I can merge into traffic. And she was immediately jumpy and nervous. And I was like, Mama, what's going on? I know what I'm doing. Like, calm down. And she was like, ever since my accident, she said, I just, and it dawned on me. It's like, oh, when I drive her, I can't drive like I normally drive because she actually has something that happened to her that was traumatic. And that traumatic experience, it, uh, and when Lady Devin preached last, she talked about PTSD post-traumatic stress that comes from it. So whenever we've had trauma, which we will have trauma, and we will have to deal with trauma from from either our past, our present, or even things that we may have to deal with in our future, it has a way of shaping us. And there's nothing wrong with that unless we allow it to stay too long. But in the middle of us being shaped, then sometimes things happen and we don't have the freedom to laugh, have joy, or even praise and worship like we should because we revert uh, back to and we default to what has happened. And it's not just us. It is the devil who triggers those things. And so when we want to get happy, the devil is like, yeah, but he ain't talking about you because things never work for you. So when, if I get up and prophesy, I feel like a change is happening for somebody some people grab onto it. Other people get ready to grab onto it. And then the devil will be like, nah, not for you. And if you're not careful, you'll get stuck into that. That's why I love the one scripture where uh, the guy, he brings his son to Jesus. And Jesus tells him, listen, this can happen for you if you believe. And then he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there's portions of me that believe, but based on how long I've been dealing with this, that there's a portion of me that does not believe, that cannot believe. So, Lord, I'm asking you to help me with my unbelief. I want to go backwards for a second and put this back up. God is about to change your laugh. I didn't say you had to change your laugh because some of the things you went through were real. They're truthful, and to deny them would be foolish. We don't want to be Christians who deny stuff. No, we've gone through real things, real issues. We are in real battles, but we are trusting God to shift us out of our trauma bonding, from bonding to our trauma to bonding to what's possible in the future. And so as long as there's still promises left on the table, and even though we're waiting for them, we want to have the mindset that I want to have more faith in the future than I have in belief in the past. So we're looking for God to change our laugh. So changing it, once again, let's, let's look at it again, changing it from our first laugh. Let me make that bigger. 
changing it from the first laugh to where we are dismissing things, that we're even making a joke of things, that we're making a light of things, or that we get to a place where we, ref- we refuse to acknowledge things. I'm going to jump on that just for a second. So when God is good to you in one area, but he hasn't, some yet, uh, he hasn't somewhat come through in the other area that you want, you refuse to acknowledge what he has done in the good area. So, yes, your relationships aren't working, but then you just get a raise. Didn't your job get better? Didn't this happen? Didn't uh, that happen? Didn't you graduate here? And so when you get too jaded, you treat everything based on the one thing that isn't coming through. So God is good to you in a 100 areas, but you're focused on the two areas that haven't quite come to. So you begin to refuse to acknowledge. And when you do that, that interrupts your praise and your worship. And that puts you in, in a bad place because we come before his presence with singing. We, we enter in thanksgiving. So you get to the place where you can't sing and you can't thank and you can't praise. You're putting yourself at a distance from his presence. And it is his presence that's going to bring the promise. So you don't want to get in that place. So we, we have to grow from that. So we don't want to refuse to acknowledge. Then we don't want to overlook. We don't want to turn a blind eye to. Don't turn a blind eye to what God is yet doing. And this is why it's important to do life with other believers. And people say, well, I don't have to come to church. You don't really have to come to church to be saved. But what it does, it brings you in space with a community that God gives a collective call to a leader to lead a whole community in a certain direction. So what happens is, is when you do life with other people, it should help you because when you see God blessing others close to you, then it give you hope that, okay, if God is not a respecter of persons and I'm connected to them, then maybe that means something's going to happen for me. So if I'm connected to Ella and Ella is starting to perpetually get blessed and I don't have any hate in my heart toward Ella, Ella doesn't have any hate in her heart toward me. That means somehow we're connected. That means something's got to happen for me as well. It's not that I'm looking at her blessings and and being selfish for me, but I'm saying, yes, if I celebrate her, I'm somewhere in the mix. So doing life with people is important. So I want to go back uh, to those synonyms again, turn a blind eye to. So it's easy to turn a blind eye to what is happening with you. But when you see God blessing others, you should know, oh, Something's going to happen to me. But sometimes what people do, they turn a blind eye to and they say, well, Ella's better than me. That's why it's happening for her. But things never happen to me. So you have to be careful with that first laugh. All right. Uh, To discount, to ignore, disregard, shrug off, brush aside, scoff at. But remember, the the sermon is last laugh. So let's transition to last laugh. Last laugh synonyms are what we more associate with laughter, amusement, entertainment, humor, Mirth, merriment, glee, festivity, lightheartedness. I want to stop right there. When you find a person who can never be lighthearted, that's a person who is jaded. That's a person who is stuck in the negativity of of their life. Now, we don't want to overly judge them because many times they've been through really hard things. But hard things are things that we're supposed to process through. We're supposed to journey through. We're not supposed to get stuck in. And some people get stuck in it. And when you find a person who can't joke about anything, 
They can't be lighthearted about anything. They're like always super, super deep and always super religious. Those people many times are people who are stuck. And I got to be honest, those people irritate me when they can't just be lighthearted. Just take a joke or people who are too deep and they, they are too just like, well, the, well, this is not scripture, but it's a saying. They're so uh, heavenly minded. They're no earthly good. So you, you see a post on social media and somebody praises and their wig fall out where they're praising. And you see a bunch of people in the comments laughing, laughing, laughing. Then you see somebody else talking about we shouldn't be laughing in the house of God. Man, a woman's wig fell off. That's funny. I don't care how anointed it is. I don't care how much praise it is. Some things will always be funny. And when you find people who cannot find the joy in life and they aren't lighthearted, those are people many times who are stuck and we just don't want to be those people. And you can't have me as a leader and not be lighthearted because I'm silly at my core. My father was silly at his core. I don't care how much we're preaching. We're going to throw something funny in. We're going to say something funny. I'm going to do something. That's just who I am. I'm lighthearted. So when I lose my lightheartedness, something is wrong. All right, so lightheartedness, fun, enjoyment, pleasure, delight, and joy. Another point I need to make, some of the reasons why some people don't attend church is just too stuffy. It's too, it, there's just no joy. There's no fun. I don't want to be around Christians who can't have fun, who can't have enjoyment. Life is too hard for us not to have some type of enjoyment. And we need to understand that. And I talked about it in my honorable mentions of last week that uh, we need to use laughter as a medicine. Sometimes we have to actually take doses of it, take doses of joy so that it gives us the strength to move ahead so we don't get stuck in just the grind of life, the rough parts of life, which are there. And we talked about that last week, last week as well. Life is hard. We have to manage our expectations. Everything's not going to be a 10. So since we know that, we need something to balance us, and laughing, laughing helps us balance us. But if we're stuck in the first laugh, a laugh of unbelief versus a laugh of joy, we're in trouble. So we're looking for God to change our laugh. All right, that leads us to the passage of Scripture that we use, Genesis chapter 18. We were mainly in 18, and then we touched on uh, 21. So let's... Uh, go into this. Uh, before we go fully into that, we'll uh, just set the background up. Abraham has a promise from God. He has a promise that that he, God was going to make a nation out of him, that many people were going to come out of him. And uh, up until this point, he doesn't have any uh, children. So it looks like the promise is dead. He's been waiting 24 years um, uh, and he's in the 25th year of, of waiting. Um, something that I didn't mention when I talked about it on Sunday is when the promise came to him, Abraham was 75 when the promise came. So the assumption would be that God was going to have to do it in the next year, next two years, next three years. So it was already an improbable promise to begin with. But then God took what was improbable and make it, made it seem impossible because he kept Abraham waiting. But over in the New Testament, we say that the Bible says that Abraham didn't become weak in faith, 
but he actually grew stronger in faith. So as he waited, he actually grew stronger. Now, he did make some mistakes in the way. We, we see that if we study his story, but he always came back to the place where he trusted and believed in God. And that's what we want to do. We want to grow through our waiting processes. But, of course, I didn't want to just tell you I was preaching on patience. I had to disguise it. But that's really what we're talking about is figure out how to grow through the waiting process. All right, Genesis 18.1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. I made some points about the heat of the day, how many times God waits to things are hotter to show how great and how powerful he is. One dilemma that God has is if he moves every time we want him to move, then the people around us can explain away the movement of God. In other words, when God does something and then you be like, Ooh, God did that for me. And they'd be like, well, everybody was getting stimulus checks. That ain't, that ain't nothing. So sometimes God has to make sure not just, you know, but everybody around you knows that no one could have done this but God. And the only way to do that, he's got to allow the situation to get worse. If it can be easily explained away, it's not miraculous. It's not supernatural. And the Bible says that miracles and signs are for the unbeliever. So many times what you're going through is not about you. It's about the people around you that's connected to you, like the family who doesn't believe in God. They've got to see you go through something to know who God is. Same thing happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He threw the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace because he thought he was top dog. But it wasn't until the people around the three Hebrew boys who threw him in, they burned up. And they, the Hebrew boys walked in and they weren't burnt up and then it said the fourth man showed up. Nebuchadnezzar was convinced. If you know the story, he said everybody needs to worship the God of the Hebrews because their God is a real God because no one is able to deliver from fire. But the three Hebrew boys had to go through it, and it really wasn't even about them. It was about the surrounding nation, the nation of Babylon that God was trying to convince. So sometimes God only shows up in the heat of the day, but it doesn't mean he's forgotten about you. He's trying to convince the people around you that he's on your side. All right, let's keep going. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Now, let's put our mind back in to the idea of, of Abraham, how old he is and how long he's been waiting. Yes, some things have happened in his life, but the major thing that was promised to him has not happened. So he could have had an attitude and just not cared about. Like, I don't care if somebody shows up. Some people, I don't know these strangers, like who gives a care? But that's not the way he moved. He he was moving entirely different. So this, I, I took a lot of sub points pointing out how Abraham operated. And what I was trying to do was, was give us the mindset of what we need to do while we are waiting. Waiting is a skill. It is that, that uh, was another one of uh, my honorable mentions. Waiting is actually a skill. How you wait is important. Many of us are forced to wait, but how you wait makes the difference. When you have children 
and you know you're going to do something for them. They say that they, oh, look, look, I want ice cream. And you already know in your mind you plan on getting them ice cream. But you tell them, wait until I get done with this. If they get to pouting and acting a fool, ice cream is off the table because how you wait is just as important that you are waiting. When you tell the child to wait, they don't have a choice because they're, they're young. They can't go, get up and go get the ice cream by themselves. So they're forced to wait. But if they don't wait correctly, you'll say, for, look, forget them. Right? You, you're going to have an attitude. You ain't getting nothing. So don't put God in a place where he has to say that to us. So how we wait is vitally important. So that leads us to these points. We can do them, do this side by side. While waiting long for a promise, you can't lose your sense of honor. It's, there's never excuse to be dishonorable, to dishonor people around you because you're going through something. You come into work mad at the world, mad at everybody at work because you're waiting on something. That is not their fault. So you still ought to have honor. Give honor to where honors do. Respect people. Show, like, if you're young, treat the elderly right. You have to have a sense of honor. You can't lose a sense of honor because that interrupts the flow of blessing. God he, it's not that he can't bless somebody who's dishonorable. It's just not what he likes to do. And so when we see the story about Jabez and we see how he's lifted up out and he talks about enlarge my territory. But one of the first things it says about Jabez, that he was more honorable than his brothers. And because of that, God granted his request. So when you lose your sense of honor, you're putting yourself in a, in a bad place. So we, we got to have that. All right, let's let's move forward. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. So here's the next major point. While waiting long for a promise, you can't lose your kindness, hospitality, or generosity. So... What happens when you when life has been sour and life has given you lemons, the old saying is make lemonade, but some people, they get stuck in that sour place. They're no longer kind. They, they are no longer uh, nice. They're no longer hospitable. They're no longer generous. Like forget giving to God and, and, and giving in money. I don't care. I don't care what the church got going on. God ain't, he, he don't seem to be doing nothing for me. You know, my lights got cut off uh, two months ago. So, yeah, yeah, your lights did get cut off. I, I can't say that they didn't. It could have been your fault, but let's say it wasn't your fault. But having that that evil mindset is not going to do you any good. It's only going to make you rot from the inside out. So you, you've got to, you can't lose your kindness, your hospitality. Another thing I, I've seen with people, I've seen, I, I know a, a, a lady that is actually a teacher that, that I'd heard about who uh, got left at the altar uh, years and years ago. And in her teaching for several years, she was rude to all the boys. She was still jaded at what one man did to her. And was, she was just rough on anybody of the male gender, but she's in a teaching role. So that's really not the space for you to be in. You can't be, treating all these boys wrong because of this. 
And then any new relationship is going to be hindered because you're stuck in that place. So I know you're waiting and I know it hurts, but if you lose, let's do it again. If you lose your kindness, your hospitality, or your generosity, really you're just hindering and hurting yourself. So verse six, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah quick. He said, get three seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Before I get to the, the next point, just once again to back up a little bit. So Abraham encounters these strangers, but there's something about these strangers that Abraham knows there's something about them. And it was good to, to do good to strangers and people who are on the journey, give them a chance to, uh, to, to take a side at rest. So, so there weren't like hotels as we know, know of them. The people who owned land at the time, they were the ones who were say, hey, they were, were the ones who were good to the foreigner. So if people weren't good to you, you just had to keep moving on. You couldn't stop. Uh, when the children of Israel were coming out of the, uh, the wilderness and they were trying to pass through and they were trying to get into the promised land, they were going to pass through this land. And they asked one of the kings of the land, Moses made a, sent a request, let us rest here, let us uh, eat, let us drink. And as we go on a journey and we will remember you. And they were like, no, we've heard about you. We heard about what happened to Pharaoh. And they said no. And so they actually fought the children of Israel and the children of Israel won and, and beat them. But what they should have done, they should have allowed them room and space to stop by. So this is several years before that. Abraham had that mindset. Here, I'm going to bless these people. But what Abraham didn't understand at the time, maybe he had a hunch, but he didn't understand that this was actually God in a in human form, what we call a theophany. He was actually showing up in human form. And the scripture tells us over in the New Testament, be careful how you handle strangers and people because you might be, and it says many of us have entertained angels unaware. So that person that you chose to smile at is not a real human person. He's a, a it was a angel in human form and the angel is supposed to be doing the bidding of God. And so the angel is trying to figure out who is ready to be blessed. And so if you treat the wrong person the wrong way, you actually hurt yourself. Now I crammed a whole lot of doctrinal Bible stuff in a short time. I hope some of y'all are deep enough to do some of that studying on your own about angels and angels unaware and figure out what was going on and try to figure out what a theophany is and a Christophany is because we've brought those up the last couple uh, times we've been bringing those words up. So hopefully you take some study on your own. So when we have Bible study, I'm trying to provoke study in you. I'm not trying to do all the study for you. So I dig a little deeper than I do on Sunday, but a lot of it, I'm still dropping nuggets and hopefully you will do some of that study on your own. All right, moving along. While waiting long for a promise, you can't lose your sense of urgency. So what, what we see that not only did uh, Abraham allow them a place to stop and kind of take a rest, he was rushing to feed them. He's like, hurry up, Sarah, cook, bake, get this ready. He tells his servant, look, kill the calf. And so, so it's not like us going to a restaurant or going to McDonald's 
and they go flipping burgers. They had to actually kill the calf, clean the calf, cook the calf, but he still was was moving quickly because he wanted to serve up a meal for them. So he didn't lose his sense of urgency. And I will say that again to us. When life has been bad to you, then you have to believe for opportunities to open up. But when opportunities to open up, if you are not urgent, you can miss the opportunity. So God is not God's job to drag you to a, uh, a interview. It's not God's job to drag you to fill out an application. It's not God's job to drag you to fix your credit, but he may open up doors and open up opportunities. And you start seeing, well, this is an opportunity. This is a chance. Uh, they, they're, they're giving out free credit help. I'm jumping on that because for the blessings that I want, I'm going to have to have the proper credit. So I'm going to have a sense of urgency. And some, the devil tells you, well, it'll never work for you. And even if you go from 600 credit to 650, that still ain't nothing. But you don't know. The next blessing may have the low cap at 650. So the fact that you didn't have a sense of urgency and moved from 600 to 650, you might shut the door in your own face. You always, even though you're waiting, you can't get so jaded. I keep using that word over and over again. You can't get so jaded that you lose the time and uh, to partner with God when you can't. Because God's not going to do everything for you. He's going to give you some things. But you're going to have to do some stuff with God. So you got to have your sense of urgency. You can't lose that. All right, 18.8. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. So curds and milk. Curds is, you know, of course, curdled milk where we get cheese or yogurt. So we don't, I'm not for sure what type this was, but whatever it was, it, it, it didn't get fixed overnight. Abraham took some time to get this calf, get this meal. He was trying to give them a good meal for, uh, for us to say like a good hot meal. You know, you, you're on the road, you've been traveling. He tried to do whatever he could. And then at the end, this is what I found interesting. It says, while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He stood close to them. So I don't know exactly why he did that. It was two things that came up in my mind. So I brought both of them up as a possibility. So we'll, we'll look at both of these. While waiting long for a promise, you can't lose your sense of anticipation or service. So maybe he was standing close to them because he was anticipating something like you guys might be the key to my blessing. So he was standing there in an anticipatory way as in faith, as in hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope and anticipation come together. So maybe he was standing close to anticipate. But the, another possibility, he was standing close just to serve if they need anything. If it, did, if it wasn't to their liking, he was rushing there to serve. So another thing that is deep that I didn't bring up on Sunday day that I just want to uh, point out, it says that they ate. But what we do know from the way the the story is written and, and the way uh, I had showed you before how L-O-R-D was capitalized, we do know that this was God in human form. So why was God actually eating? God is a spirit. God doesn't need to eat. 
However, when he comes in human form, he operates in human ways, in human things. So let me throw this out there and just just move on. People always say, God don't need my money. God's a spirit. I ain't giving to no church, no preacher, because God don't need my money. And he absolutely does not. But when God steps into human form, he operates in human things. So we see where he literally ate and he literally did things. Now, this is before Jesus coming as a baby and growing up because God was always trying to foreshadow what he was going to do. So even in our day and age, God steps into our situation, our time. He steps out of eternity and he steps into time. And so there are things that you do that are not necessarily spiritual. There are human that God chooses to use and appreciates, and he will bless you for that. So don't ever think, well, I'm not doing that because God is spirit. Well, the homeless person, they they need a sandwich. I ain't giving them a sandwich. I'm just going to pray for them. I'm just going to be a spiritual blessing. But maybe they just need a sandwich. So don't forget that God many times wants you to do human things because he's testing you to see where you are. Uh, I don't have time to stay here, but I'm going to throw this out real quick. It's a, it's a pastor in Chicago named Pastor Meeks. Uh, pastor James Meeks, a very uh, powerful man of God. And he did a test on his church. He got dressed up like a hobo, like a bum, full, went all the way out. And he goes to the church before the service and he lays at the steps to the church. And he watched how many people stepped over him, went by him to get to church. Now, he wasn't blocking their way. He was just close enough to the steps to be seen, but also to be ignored. And he counted the people who even interacted with him, asked him, was he okay? Asked if he needed prayer, if he needed food. Very few did. And then he goes, changes, and comes in and goes to uh, to preach. And everybody in the church is saying, hi, pastor, hi, pastor. And then he got up and preached to them and lit into them. He's like, y'all saying hi to me, but when you thought I was a bum, you wouldn't do anything for me. And it really revolutionized the way that church thought. And they ended up being, becoming a great help to the Chicago area because he had to shift away his congregation thought. So sometimes God will come in human form to see where you are. And sometimes you're skipping over people because you're so caught up in being spiritual and you're missing that God is saying you ain't even ready yet. So I just had to throw that in there on y'all. Hopefully I don't, I don't have to do that to y'all deliverance temple. All right, let's continue to read. Verse 9, where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. I will throw this out really quick. It shows right then that Abraham began to know, oh, this this is somebody special because now they're saying, I'm coming back and your wife will have a son. So Abraham was embracing because he was already anticipating he was serving. So Abraham's faith was at high level. But sometimes your faith is at high level doesn't mean the people connected to your faith is where it needs to be. So many times God has to 
test and challenge everybody around you who's going to go with you. So even though Abraham was where he needed to be, Sarah was not. So now the scene shifts to being about Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. It's very important we know that. She laughed to herself as she thought. So I like how the scripture is, sometimes we miss it. So I said that she laughed to herself, but what we could think is, well, she laughed to herself, but she laughed loud enough for somebody to hear. But look at what the the verbiage says. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. So this was not an outside laugh. This was just a laugh in her head. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So let's go further. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Remember, it says L-O-R-D capitalized. So that lets us know it was God speaking. Now, another thing, what, what it's hard to to tell because Genesis doesn't explain it, but at the beginning it says three men showed up. But it doesn't tell which one of the three is speaking or if they all spoke, we don't know. But what many people believe is this shows us what, what we call the Trinity. So there are some people who do not believe in the Trinity and a lot of people will point to this place that three men showed up and the three, it was the Father, it was the Son, it was the, the Holy Spirit and the three and, and one, but all of a sudden we just, we just hear one person speaking. We don't know who's speaking. We don't know if the three combined into one. We don't know what happened because the Bible is not specific about it, but it leaves us enough clues to really be uh, curious about it. It's like, how, how did this happen? There, there's three men, but one is speaking, who's speaking, but it shows us the triune power of God. So he asks this and it says, Uh, Why did Sarah laugh and say? Remember, she only spoke in her head. She didn't speak out loud. But God is saying, why did she say this? All right. So the next verse is anything too hard for the Lord. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So what I love about that is it says, it is a question that was posed from God to Abraham about Sarah. And he was like, why did she laugh? Basically, don't she know who I am? And that's the question that is always asked to us whenever we are waiting long and we are in an improbable, impossible situation. God is asking the same question to us. And when the question is posed from God to us, it shifts how we think about it. Because as long as we're looking at the situation, we're like, yeah, this is too hard. This is too hard for me. I can't do this. And God doesn't care about what you can't do and what's too hard for you. Because the question is never about you. The question is, is there anything too hard for me? Yes, it's supposed to be impossible to you because if it was possible to you, you could do it on your own. But what I want you to know that 
I want you in impossible situations because I want you to know why you're trusting in me, why you are trusting in me. I want you to know why you're trusting in me, why you are trusting in me. You are trusting in me because you can't do it. If you could do it, you wouldn't need me. If you could make it happen, you wouldn't need me. You wouldn't need faith if you could do it yourself. If you were a genie in the bottle and could abracadabble and wiggle your nose and make stuff happen, you wouldn't need God. But we are human. We have human limitations. We have obstacles. We have some stuff that we just cannot do on our own. And thank God we have a God that we partner with. And his reminder to us, even while we are waiting, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything that I can't do? Uh, Another quick story. When we were on uh, vacation, we were... uh, at the grocery store buying a whole bunch of food for for the week we were going to have it in the cabin. And so when once we each of us got our carts, we we all had our our food on on the thing and uh you know, we had the little dividers cuz everybody was going to pay for for their food. Stephen pulls up at the end with his cart and he was like put it all on on my tab. And so he left to go pick something up, and my mom was like, he, he, he don't have to pay for all that. And I was like, yeah, he don't have to pay for all that. So we left our dividers up there, and then my mom started paying for the food. And when Stephen got back, he was, he was actually upset. And he was like, I told you to put everything on, on mine. And my, my, my mom was like, that's a lot of money. And she, he was like, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't have it. And he was like, you so hard at it. And she said, I'm the mama. You ain't the mama. It, it was funny, and then the the the, uh, the cash register was laughing at us, and I was like, "Well, shoot!" And I pulled my divider up and let let him go ahead and take it. But what he was saying is like, I I would not have offered if I didn't have the ability to make it happen. And so, Mama, you don't need to add to this. And the reason why we wanted to pay for it because like we don't want to put it all on him. But he's like, I got it. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't have offered. And I hear God saying the same thing. Is there anything too hard for me? If I told you I could do it, I can do it. If I said I'm able to do it, I'm able to do it. So get out of thinking about what's happened in the past and how old you are and all the reasons why it can't happen, all the reasons why it's impossible. I'm showing up to tell you by this time next year, I'm about to make something happen. And I know it's hard as I'm always feeling like I'm always promising things to y'all and telling y'all things can turn around. It seems like stuff is not happening. But the only reason why I'm saying it is because God's telling me to tell y'all that he going to come through. And I know it's hard and I know it's rough, but don't laugh the wrong way. Don't laugh like the first laugh because what you're saying is God can't do it. But God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's able to do it. So let's let's put this point up. While waiting long for a promise, you can't forget that God is able to make the impossible possible. All right, let's get back to Sarah real quick. Verse 15, Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yeah, yeah, you did. I know I'm paraphrasing. He's like, no, no, you laugh. And the reason why she was afraid, because as the scripture pointed out to us, she only laughed as a thought. She didn't laugh out loud. It was just a sarcastic thought. 
sheet, cast it off. So let, let's look at look at it again in in the thought form. So she dis, just dis, dismissed it in her thoughts. She made a joke of it in her thoughts. She made light of it in her thoughts. She refused to acknowledge it in her thoughts. She overlooked it in her thoughts. She turned a blind eye to it in her thoughts. She discounted, ignored, disregarded, shrugged off, brushed aside, and scoffed at it in her thoughts. She just laughed it off. But guess what? God is about to change your laugh. So I said it before, uh, Sunday, previously when I've preached this, or even I've heard people preach it, we kind of beat up on Sarah and be like, you know, like she, she didn't have faith and she was laughing at God. But, but if we back up and think about this, she doesn't know any more than Abraham knows. All she knows is three men shows up out of nowhere and she's supposed to cook for them and, and get them ready. And her husband's doing what he tries to normally do. He's, he's being kind and generous. And she didn't fight him and say, no, I ain't cooking nothing. No, she, she followed along and she was eavesdropping and listening. So she had some sense of anticipation too, because she's thinking, who, who are these people? What, what, what is it? And then she hears Sarah's going to have a child. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he don't know how old I am. And remember, if you know much about the story, they talked about how beautiful Sarah was. She was even beautiful for her age. So she was like, listen, you, you, I, I may look young, but I'm not as young as I look. And on the inside, I'm dead. How did she know she was dead? She was no longer going through the cycle. So you women understand that she was well past that. So... It was really impossible. She wasn't laughing because she was bad. She was just looking at the reality of her life. And it's just like, these people are nice people. They just, they don't know what I know. And the question is, was God upset with her? Or was God so faithful to her that he was like, I ain't even worried about her laugh. I'm just going to change her laugh. I'm going to switch her from where she is to where I want her to be. So he never punished Sarah. He just said, no, you laughed. I know you laughed, but I'm going to show you how good I am. And so when we, we fast forward three chapters, it shows you exactly what I'm talking about. And the word is so clear. Now the Lord, and it's capitalized again, was gracious to Sarah. I'm a grace preacher. I'm not a punishment preacher. So sometimes you laughed when you shouldn't laugh, but God's grace is coming. His grace is also his unmerited favor. Even though you got to the place where you haven't been believing and you was ready to give up, God's grace is about to arrest you and change your laugh. No longer are you going to be laughing out of unbelief God is getting ready to switch it, and he's not going to switch it because you're so good. He's switching it because he's so gracious. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. The Lord did for her what he promised, but he didn't do it for her because of her. He did it for her in spite of her. So God is going to do some stuff for you 
but it ain't going to be about you. It's going to be because he's so good that his goodness is running after us. All my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so, so good. So God's goodness is going to make the difference, not because of you, but because his word is on the line. His character was on the line. It was him that promised. It was him that said it. It's not about you. It's not about Deliverance Temple. It's not about Pastor Andre. It's about God and his word. And everything will fail. Heaven and earth will fail, but his word will last. And if God promised you, God can do it. If God said it, he's got the power to make it happen. If God God said he was going to deliver you, he going to deliver you. If God said he going to save your family, he going to save your family. If God said he going to heal your body, he going to heal your body. If God said he was going to give you a husband, he going to give you a husband. It's about him, not about you. God is about to change somebody's life. Woo. If this was Sunday morning, I might have a praise break right there. But I'm going to go ahead and teach on a little because we're getting close to the hour. So Genesis 21 and 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So once again, it was about God. Genesis 21, 3 and 5, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him because Isaac means laughter or he laughs. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham was a hundred. Sarah was, I believe, 90. So this was totally impossible. But God changed the laugh. Now let's look at what Sarah said to prove it. Let's look at her out of her own mouth. Sarah said, Genesis 21, 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh, not at me, not for me, but will laugh with me. God changed her laugh. Now, not only that, but he, she said, God brought me laughter. She was talking about Isaac because that's what his name meant. And, and they named him laughter. So God brought it to me, and now people are laughing with me. So guess what? I got the last laugh, devil. With God's help, I got the last laugh. And even though I had to laugh last, I'm laughing loudest because there's nobody to laugh at me. Everybody is laughing with me because when God changed my laugh, it wasn't just for me. It was for everybody who was connected to me to see that God is good. So let's do this again. Our last laugh synonyms. Amusement. So now I'm laughing out of amusement. I'm laughing out of entertainment. I'm laughing out of humor. I'm laughing out of mirth, merriment, glee, festivity. My lightheartedness has come back. My fun has come back. My enjoyment has come back. My pleasure has come back. Sometimes people act like Christians can't have pleasure. Yes, I'm going to have some pleasure and some the reason why some of y'all want to get married is so you can have some pleasure and you need to be having some pleasure, delight and joy. Yes, we have been in difficult season, seasons, 
prolonged season of waiting and patience. But God is changing and shifting our life, and joy is coming back to us. Deliverance Temple, joy is coming back to us. Of course, everything won't be a joy because we still live in an earthly body. We still got to deal with stuff, but we're going to see the balance shift. It's going to be more joy than pain. It's going to be more laughter than sorrow. That's where we are headed. So I'll say this for us, Lord, change my laugh. We confessed this on Sunday, and then we made this confession. Actually, we confessed this three times, so I'll just do it. And uh, at home, you can do it if you, if you desire, or you can type it however you want. We'll just do this two more times. Lord, change my laugh, and Lord, change my laugh. And then we, we added this confession as the end. Lord, give me the last laugh. Lord, give me the last laugh. Lord, give me the last laugh. Even though it's type my, it was supposed to be give me the last laugh. All right, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for transformation, revival, healing, and forgiveness. And so, God, we pray that we would have the last laugh. You have the final say in our life. The devil gets no glory. We are winners in you. And whatever we don't seem to get on this side, we'll get it on that side in heaven. So we always win. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We thank you. And I just want, again, to say I appreciate all of you especially those of you who consistently connect online and share and all that you do, and those who come in, in the building. God has taken us somewhere, and when we get there, we'll be doing a whole lot of laughing.